Hello, I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence, and welcome to the second episode of our roundup of 2022. If you did, thanks so much for listening to our pods on our best films of last year. In this episode, we'll be discussing our worst movies, from shit spies to appalling superheroes. These are the movies that bored, disappointed, and occasionally made us laugh, just not in a good way. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. And films are better than people. So, here we are, ready again for round two. The fun one, the one everyone loves. It's where we get to slag off a bunch of films for 30 or 40 minutes and tell you how uh, cinema is dying and it was so much better in the 90s, etc, etc. I don't think it's fun. I think we need to hold these films to account. (laughs) You see this as a solemn duty. Exactly. We need to take this very, very seriously. These are the films that have committed cinematic crimes in the past year. Wait a minute. Is this the if you've listened to the last episode, are you now seeing yourself as like being in The Stranger and you're like Joel Egerton in The Stranger and all of these films are like Sean Harris and you're trying to get them? I mean, for those that haven't listened to the first one, that reference will be lost on them. <laughs> uh, so let's just leave that there. <laughs> but yeah, we We have fun, don't we? Yeah, we are going to we are going to talk about our, our worst films of the year. I, have you got three? I've got three. You've got three. I've got I've three. just got two. Yeah, that's um, fair enough. I'm not going to do what other people on film podcasts do, which is to just make up a film that was okay, or that's something that they didn't particularly like, and just put it on there because they want to give it a little bitch or moan. No, I think the two films that I've seen that I'm going to talk about are legitimately bad, and in a way, I've got quite lucky. I've only seen two really bad films this year, so <laughs> I'm quite relieved. This is very pure of you. This is You're taking this as a serious, solemn duty to slag off these films. Yeah, I've got to hold them accountable. Need to lay down the law. So, all rise for this court of justice. Um, And I'm going to go... Well, I'm going to go first, actually, since I have less than you. The first film I want to talk about is a film called My Son Hunter. So you probably won't have heard of this one. Earlier this year, I went to a screening of Die Hard... And an actor of one of the FBI agents, Robert Darvey, was there as a part of it. And uh, since being big in the 80s, he's turned into two things. One, a Sinatra-esque crooner and a Trump-supporting conspiracy theorist. So after Darvey's transformation into a right-winger, he then decided to direct a low-budget Wolf of Wall Street rip-off slash expose of Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden. And and the alt-right have been accusing both Bidens of secretly taking bribes and cuts from China and Ukraine, various deals in those places. I wish I could tell you that I watched a film about crooning or Sinatra or something, but unfortunately this is a film all about the life of Hunter Biden and those alleged deals. You're a Biden. Act like one. Everything he built, life, I just ruined it all. I want to know everything that's on that laptop that can ruin my erection. My friends, it's time to party! And, and I mean, it's it's mostly absolute bollocks. That That's kind of why I've included in this list. Uh, like, although Hunter Biden is an addict and loved to party, like the various clunky allegations of him selling America's secrets and Joe Biden taking cuts has all just been rubbished by anyone who's serious about journalism. So w- what this is just, this film is, is just conservatives yelling at stuff 
There's digs at like Black Lives Matter, trans rights and mainstream media. But it's almost impossible to follow because it's just all so dull. Like it's like reading a a Word document about an American in a suit talking to a non-American in a suit and mentioning something about money. Like I can't impress on you how boring they make their like sexiest scandal and for the amount of cocaine and sex that's in it it should be more fun than this it should be a lot less depressing but it just isn't it's notable for seeing the return of Lawrence Fox to acting who was a fairly unsuccessful actor slash music person Uh, But then he decided to parlay that career into being an anti-woke troll. Uh, But he's back and acting in this. There's some wild party scenes designed to titillate or frill, a la Wolf of Wall Street, which I sort of mentioned earlier. But it's just so lame. Um, I guess I include it in this because I'm fascinated with the right wing. And I love it when they try and make something that tries to match Hollywood. And it's like, well, Hollywood are perfectly capable of making right-wing movies on their own. They don't really need you doing some subpar photocopy with your mad ramblings in it. I mean, I know Trump didn't really work out for conservatives in the end, but I mean, come on, there's just better things you can do with your time. This is just like a really sad, lame, attempted slap at the left wing, but it's just like yelling in an echo chamber about a bunch of bollocks and sorry, but Trump's gone, and it's looking less and less likely that he's going to come back, and there's not really a lot you can do about it. So what's more offensive, the propaganda or the actual execution of the film in terms of directing, writing, acting? Oh, what a really good question. It's really hard to pick between two turds that make up the larger turd of this film. Probably the execution is the most disappointing. Like I say, I mean, just it's so boring jumping from businessman to businessman and barely being able to follow any of the conspiracy as it's kind of narrated to you and then there's some like unsubtle digs saying like, Joe Biden took a bunch of money and it's like, well, no, he didn't. Like, there's never been any evidence of this. You are just making this shit up. So you're not looking forward to the next Robert Davi film? Nah, directs. I wish I was, but no, I wasn't. Um, maybe he could redeem himself, make one of those cheesy Christmas films. That'd be really fun. Maybe with Lawrence Fox again. That's how they could both redeem themselves. Make it like one of those cheesy Christmas films that comes on Netflix every now and again. Well, I'll look forward to that in December 2023. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in there? Joe's in on it. So, what's your uh, first terrible film you want to bring to the docket? Uh, yeah, so number two in my list of... It's not really a list, is it? It's two films. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, your, your list puritanism. It's not going yeah, to make the cut. The second worst film I've seen uh, is The Contractor. Yeah. Uh, with Chris Pine and Ben Foster. And a, and a sort of supporting role with, with Kiefer Sutherland. So, Chris Pine plays James Harper. Uh, He's an ex-soldier who can no longer work for the army after being court-martialed. He reluctantly takes work for a shady private contractor due to spiralling debts. After an operation in Germany goes badly wrong, the private contractor tries to assassinate James as he learns of their wider, illicit intentions. We gave them our minds, our bodies and our spirit. They chewed us up and spit us out. We operate in a deep black OGA offshoot with direct presidential authority. Bank some decent cash, put a down payment on the house. I need to take care of my family. What do we do, Mike? I've got an extraction team. Comply. I'll do that when you confirm who you're working for. You work for me. You gotta trust me. I am trying to help you. Oh, we're working for the president of World Corporation. Get in the car! 
So after listening to that clip from the contractor, it probably doesn't sound too bad. It probably sounds like a bit of a cerebral and functional action film. And it is, perhaps, for the first half. But then it just turns into a complete, unremarkable mess. Uh, it's badly directed because, especially towards the end, there are scenes which feel rushed and kind of done in one take. Yeah. Uh, the one that I thought was the worst was just Chris Pine screaming at Ben Foster in loads of cliches, and it looks really wooden. And Chris Pine is never wooden. Like, I'm a massive fan of his. I love him. I and love that, him to death. And that just feels really strange for him to put in a bad performance, or definitely over that scene, just one that's just completely without nuance or skill or ability. After everything we've done, everything we've been through, I fucking good for you! And this is what I get! I think even in that scene, the camera breaks the line in a two-shot, so you don't always know where the characters are in their line of sight, which again, is kind of really confusing from a technical point of view, and again, just feels rushed and, and almost kind of badly edited in a way. Yeah. Um, I think the problem is, is that this film starts off as quite a like subtle and clever uh, action film, which is maybe trying to make a point about you know private contractors or what happens to army veterans after they, they leave the service, but... Towards the end, the story just gets really muddled. As as it goes on, I was really worried because I thought, this film is turning out so badly that it's not going to leave enough time to save itself. And I thought that it could save itself. Again, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Kiefer Sutherland's always really, really watchable. Yeah. But by the end, it's just, it's such a like lame and unoriginal ending that I just thought, oh, this is such a waste of talent. And I was just really, really disappointed with it. And I remember... When I was kind of doing research for the film and looking back on it, even when I watched the trailer, I thought, this looks okay. This should have been a completely serviceable vehicle for Chris Pine. But what happened was, I think that's kind of why I got tricked into watching it. Uh, because it went straight to Prime. I mean, it cost about 50 or $60 million to make. Whoa. And I think when it got to cinemas, it, it did, well, it did go to cinemas before it got to Amazon Prime, okay. where you can watch it now. But it only made about $2 million. It was a real, real flop. Uh, and I just think that, you know, when the studio that made it, they must have known that there are all sorts of problems and faults with it. I think the action is really, really bad. Yeah. There's no there's no one good sequence. Perhaps at the beginning, actually, where they do this operation in Germany, where they, they go have to go into a scientific lab. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, okay, maybe that... But this is like in that first part of the film, which is okay and isn't too amateurish. But by the end, but like by that final third is is all over the place, and yeah, I was really disappointed. Not only in terms of a technical view, but in terms of performances, because as I said, I'm a big fan of Chris Pine. Ben Foster is okay. Maybe his career is a bit inconsistent. He put in lots of good performances. <laughs> You've had your problems with him. Yeah, I've had problems with Ben Foster in the past. But on the whole, he's you know he's come out good. He hasn't put in a bad performance in a long, long time, which obviously shows good good career development. But yeah, I, like I guess him. maybe my expectations for this film were too high. Maybe that's why I hate it so much. Maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. Maybe on a rewatch, I'll think, okay, that wasn't the second worst film I saw that year. But yeah, I was so frustrated with it. Nope, it's shite. It's absolute (laughs) shite. Like, I hate it. I do really love action cinema, and I think this is definitely trying to channel like a kind of Tom Clancy-esque, more realistic tale of special forces units and spies and and the kind of the backstabbing that goes on and in geopolitics and the more like clinical side of of, of action but like I, I, it just it just fails at everything I, I i think this it is amazing that this film has managed to fly under the radar because it's a real disaster it's proper back of the fag packet sort of filmmaking everything feels so rushed everything feels like there were no good ideas 
on how to execute this or you thought that maybe just it feeling like more realistic would carry it through but actually just feels really dull dull in a different way to my son hunter but still really bloody dull no there aren't really any good action sequences there's like an almost good one like midway through in a sewer but didn't didn't think so the script is so corny and so lackluster and they're trying to instill you with some kind of patriotism or or make you feel like the tragedy of the troops that are let down and and forced into these back avenues of geopolitics and actually you don't get the feeling at all you get that feeling of whoever wrote this didn't really believe in it or you know i don't think anyone everyone like kind of suddenly realizes how like seriously subpar everything to do with this movie is because there's some really good talent in this it they're just all so horribly misused i mean i i don't know how you could misuse someone like chris pine because he's such a charismatic and such a powerful actor you know he's famous for being these big blockbuster things but i think he's got some great performances ahead of him and i think to waste him in something like this is just such a letdown such a such a shame really yeah and in a previous podcast last year uh, we talked about hello high water yeah love uh, which love is it. a film with chris pine and ben foster both uh, riff off each other really really well extremely charismatic really well directed really well written great cinematography so yeah we know, we've seen these actors do better work together 100 um and yeah hopefully they make another film because i don't want this to be their last film together they're gonna do another film go yeah. and make another really good one <laughs> you know what there is something because because i loved hella high water so much and i think it was a really good showcase for what those two actors can do and i think yeah i'd really like to see them have another go together. See if they can recapture that magic. It also, it also is a shame because I think you have expressed in previous podcasts as well a bit of an affection for an action thriller that is a bit more espionage a bit, you know, that, that has that kind of, that, that feels a bit more grounded. Something that might have come from the end of the 20th century. You talked about Ronin, Mission Impossible. And, the, and this is the kind of film that should carry that torch and it really doesn't but it almost does because actually i think for about a third of this film they are trying to make that film and then it gets to a point where there's this huge loud action scene where loads and loads of people die there are loads and loads of fatalities i think at that point they're like actually we want to make a completely different film and it just feels like this really bad project that's a bit halfway between those two ideas of action films Uh, and yeah that that second half the the next two thirds are just this this horrible mess i'm getting real flashbacks to that thing that you were talking about with this conversation between ben foster and chris pine it's so like cringe inducing this kind of weird sort of like half-assed flag waving meant to be the big moment between these two characters and it just really isn't chris pine is meant to be crying and no tears are coming out yeah i think that kind of sums it up really it's easy to kill but it's much harder to survive. He's gonna come after you with everything he's got. I'm going home. So that's the contractor done. What's your uh, second worst film of the year? That is a film called Blackbird, which is also a film some of you might not have heard about, but is pretty terrible, but also sort of amazing. Yeah, that's sort of the running theme of my worst films of the uh, of the year this time round. Okay, let me tell you a little story, right? So in the 90s... How quick is this going to be? Oh, so quick. 
You'll, 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 it'll, it'll whiz by. Okay. It'll be so exciting. And so, is this the story of the film or the story behind the film? The story behind the film. Okay, here we go. Which is even, which is, which is even more exciting if you think about it. Right. So, in the nineties, there was a this thing called Riverdance, right? And it was a big revival of Irish dancing, and it was led slash created by this dancer called Michael Flatley. He made an obscene amount of money from this, but now it's sort of waned. But it's still a bit of a pop culture reference or a, or a pub quiz question. Now, some men like to open a restaurant or start a fashion line with their millions. But Michael decided to do something a little bit different. He decided to write, direct and star in a wish fulfillment fantasy about him being the leader of an ultra elite team of spies in the style of the Connery Bond films uh, for probably about half the cost and uh, none of the experience of actually making any of those films. And if this is starting to sound a bit like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, you're basically on the money. What follows is perhaps the greatest bad movie since The Room. I've seen this twice in the cinema of an audience, and it was an absolutely knee-slapping experience. It's pretty amazing. The storyline is basically about Victor Blackley, who's played by Michael Flatley, and it's him and his team of spies called the Chieftains, and they have left the Irish security service. They're like the spies, but it's not really real if you look into it. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. They've left it. He's opened up a bar in the Caribbean somewhere, which is still impossibly basically like a bar from the 1950s, which doesn't really make any sense. But then there's an old flame of his appears with her arms dealer fiancé, and he's called back into action. Blake Molyneux is extremely dangerous. This is our chance. We must get Victor involved. No one can do what he does. I'm not the man I used to be. The Blackbird is dead. When are we going to get past this? I'll never get past this! I mean, it's abysmal, but kind of brilliantly abysmal. Like, it has it all. Like, it's an endless array of plot holes, like wooden acting, women half Flatley's age just throwing themselves at him, and just hats so many hats he changes into like a different hat in every scene and like possibly the best part of the scene is he's wearing one hat he he walks out of the club that he owns and he hands his current hat to a servant who then hands him a completely different hat that he puts on and then he continues and that's like his driving hat i don't know like but he has loads of different hats in this film there are points in the film when it's obviously just no one on set knew how to do something so they just like skipped a scene skipped an action scene or something like no thought is given to if something makes sense like most of the story in script feel like it was written about like 30 minutes before they actually had to film it it's just it probably was it probably was the whole film is just an excuse for flatly to dress up in various costumes and pretend like it's still the middle of the 20th century and hats yeah so this 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 nightclub still has like live singers doing old swing numbers and it has like a dress code and old mafia bosses kind of go there they establish and oh so it's like casablanca it is it's basically casablanca mixed with a sean connery bond film but also it's a michael flatley fantasy he, he is in his 60s i believe but there's a guy half his age twice his size in muscles that flatley describes as a big unit and he can just, like, knock him out. Or actually, I think he even kills him in, like, three punches or something, which is just just amazing. He is Lord of the Dance. He is Lord of the Dance, but he doesn't actually ever use any his feet skills. It's all his it's all his hands mm. and stuff. Though there are a couple of references to that in the film, yeah. if you watch it. It'd be it, wrong not to. It really would be. He'd be missing a trick. It's so bad, but my God, it's good. I really wanted to talk about it in this podcast, because it is... 
easily one of the worst films I've seen this year. Uh, which also is, is funny because I think Michael Flatley was quoted by an Irish reviewer as basically saying, I don't really watch that many films. And it's like, you can fucking tell, Michael, from, from this film that you've sort of half made. I think he also made this like a few years ago and it's only just getting a release now. For, for a time, you could only see it at the Prince Charles Cinema. I've se- that's where I've seen it twice because nowhere else was screening In it. London. In London, yeah. Prince Charles in, in London. No one else was screening it. Uh, in Ireland, it had a very brief release and then and then stopped. So it was only Prince Charles doing these like ironic screenings of it where everyone would get together and get pissed and, and like just laugh at it. But just before Christmas, it's been released digitally. So you can now own this at home, this this masterpiece of terribleness. How festive! Um, is it is it made seriously like the room? Oh yeah! Oh, it's a hundred percent made seriously. This this is not a joke. This is Michael Flatley wanted to make a spy film, and he did, and it was terrible. But but yeah, it's made earnestly. You can tell, right? But like that's what makes it really good. Like in university, I was part of a bad films club, right? And one of the rules was it has to be made seriously. It has to be made as if they were trying to make a good film. And this definitely passes that test. Yeah, it can be hard to tell, I guess, because you never really know the true story until a film becomes or gets cult-like status. Yeah. And then you get more stories from set and you get more exposure of what went on. And then you can find out whether it was made for seriously or whether it was one of these films that was a bit wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Let's try and make it as bad as possible. But yeah, it sounds like this. All the evidence points to the fact that that this was taken extremely seriously. It was, I think, with it, hilarious I it consequences. <laughs> and it is. It is hilarious. Like if you can get a few friends together and get half cut. Like if you like bad movies, it's so much fun. Like you say, like like too many times these days, people make intentionally bad movies, or people make films with like a tongue in cheek and stuff. But it's rare to get a piece of work that's been made so earnestly and in such a deluded way he really wanted to be james bond he and he really thought he could make a film that was like, like writes directs and stars that's the level of ego we've got going on here and he makes this wish fulfillment fantasy where he is basically james bond living in another century like there's all the technology as well is really really weird like they, they still have those rotary phones and stuff like hanging around there is the internet in it but it feels like almost as like an afterthought like oh yeah i guess we've got to put the internet in this yeah all the characters like no, no one makes sense everyone worships michael flatley's character in it for absolutely no reason even though he seems to do not very much work and he has some like really killer lines like he's in a confessional at one point with a priest and he says uh, forgive me for my sins father but i may have to sin again soon or something like that i i know that this section we're supposed to talk about the worst films possible and it does sound like i'm promoting blackbird but this was like amazing they don't make bad films like this very often so i think it's like really good fun and i think everyone should give it a try who i am is none of your concern and what i do is out of your control Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and I'm about to sin again. So, the no- <laughs> the number one worst movie is both of our worst movies. Yeah, that's quite nice symmetry. It is, way. really. Yeah. Almost as if we planned this beforehand. <laughs> no, but I don't think we... I don't think we, we didn't get together and think... And, and we're like, oh, well, maybe we should put this as, as both our number ones. I think we both independently came to this conclusion that this is without doubt the worst film of 2022. I think measuring everything up, like, I think this has to be 
the worst. I don't I don't think there's anything that can come quite as close. I think there are pieces of this in all the films we've talked about tonight. Mm. You know, elements of that, but that'll make sense. So do you do you want to tell them or shall I? Yeah, so number one is Morbius. Um <laughs> AKA it's Morbin time. Yeah, which maybe we'll get into a bit later because that will mean nothing to people if they haven't <laughs> heard of it. But yeah, so the story is that Dr. Michael Morbius even even just saying that now just makes me <laughs> You can't resist. Dr. Michael Morbius is a renowned scientist that has spent his life trying to cure himself of a debilitating blood disease. After an experiment goes wrong, he becomes vampiric, gaining super strength and unnatural abilities. Unfortunately, his childhood friend Milo, who also has this disease, adopts this cure but uses his newfound power for nefarious actions. What did you do to yourself, Doctor? I wish I knew. I went from dying to being more alive than ever. It worked. Not exactly. I have increased strength and speed and some form of bat radar. What else can I do? There are limits. There has to be. There's something inside of me. Who wants to hunt and consume blood? Michael. When you're strange. So where should we start on Morbius? Well, because it is a complete omni-shambles, uh, dis- <laughs> a, a disaster class. It, it's a superhero film, I think it's important yep. to know. Yep. And it is the absolute nadir of the superhero film. Like, so bland and horrible throughout. I mean, we actually have talked about this film before, because we did an episode... A couple, like probably about eighteen months ago, about the films we we hoped would just stay in the vault during the pandemic, and Morbius was one of the ones right. we picked because, like, the trailer gets released, you think it's a joke. There's no way they're going to make like a film about some D-list Spider-Man villain that looks this bland, this bad, but they did. <laughs> And then they just delayed it and delayed it and delayed it until the last possible moment that they could release it. And then they did. And it was and it was an absolute piece of shit. But it's so bad, it's got like a kind of online cult following as well, which is another element to it. But yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 the film itself, absolutely dreadful. There's no imagination, no charisma. There's nothing interesting about this at all. It's essentially like watching the worst highlight reel of those old... 2000 Spider-Man films. It, it, it is, like, definitely inspired by Venom and the success of Venom. And those films are dreadful. But imagine, like, a worse version of Venom. Like, yeah. that's, what, that, that's what this is. And I think when you say, like, a, those Spider-Man films obviously were financially and critically quite successful, but it does feel like a film that was made about 25 years ago. Yes, it does. And that is kind of really important because... That explains a lot of the cliches. Yeah. That explains a lot of the scenes that you feel like you've seen before in other superhero films. Yeah. They're basically retreading old work. The CGI is bad. CGI could be from the noughties. Yeah. Because you have to make him kind of go vampiric. And, like, the look of Morbius, the character, is this is of like a proper Nosferatu-looking vampire. Then they have to, like, modify everyone's faces to when they turn into a vampire to look like that. It looks bad. Like, we're not at the stage yet where we can make that look good. It just looks really, really silly. Yeah, it just feels like they were shooting the film and they said, okay, when the vampires pull that face, we'll sort that out in (laughs) post-production. We're not quite sure what it's going to look like. Or we have sort of some idea the visual effects team is going to work at it. 
not quite sure. And then it just turns out looking really, really tacky. Yeah. There's nothing really exciting that ever happens in the film. They, they kind of set up all the dominoes, and you can see them setting up the dominoes, if that makes sense. And then they just sort of gently tap them over, sort of five of them. And you go, oh yeah, that's expected. Some, someone ends up dead, and Morbius goes, oh no, have I killed them? And you don't actually see it on screen, so you go, oh no, I think someone else has killed them. And then it turns out someone else has, and he has to have a fight with them. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I could see this happening. He gets framed, doesn't he, at one point? He gets framed, yeah. I mean, you sort of... So the police are after him. Yeah. To be honest, I've given away a bit of a spoiler there by saying Milo is the bad guy there. But I hope anyone that would have enjoyed this film will forgive you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I just think it's just full of tons of bad plot devices like that. And the way that they talk to each other, I mean... You've got Jared Harrison there. Yeah. Respectable actor. Picking up a paycheck. Picking up a paycheck. Really bad in it. Jared Leto struggles to be good in most things. Yeah. He's really bad at this. I I used to think he was quite a discerning actor, but it feels like in recent years he's been in a string of really terrible films, and he's made some really terrible decisions, or his agent certainly has. So now he's got more of a bit of a rep for, well, if he's in this... Pretty, pretty shite. Yeah, and I don't really understand what Matt Smith was trying to do. Again, pro- probably pick up a bit of a paycheck. And sorry, Matt Smith is, is playing Milo. The, yes, um, he is the, the villain. The villain in it. Uh, Matt Smith is an excellent actor, but in this, he, he, he does his best, bless him, to try, to try and be this kind of power-hungry, excessive vampire who doesn't want to rein in his powers. He wants to go full tilt with them all, and Morbius won't won't let him and wants to stop him but it's like he's just wasted like there's just no, there's nothing interesting here there's nothing oh, interesting oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll stop you there <laughs> he has the most interesting scene in the film right. and probably probably the film's ultimate low point uh, yeah. which is the dancing scene yeah so let's talk about the dancing scene when I first saw this in the cinema I sort of forgot about it was sort of bad you but I sort paid of, to see this film. I did, we, we, all, we, all, I, we all paid to see this film. I, yeah we did um, the, it, it was it was bad but it was basically after Matt Smith gets revealed as the villain and then they need to have a scene where they show him being villainous again this feels like a scene from the the noughties from the 2000s where it's like he's got powers and now he's cool but he's also a bit bad. Like, think about the dancing scene from Spider-Man 3, but actually done for serious. And it's really bad music as well. Really bad music. They find this Euro trash dance number, which just it sort of talks about, like, have you don't sex. Have, you don't, I was going to uh, stop you there. You don't have to do it. Well, I mean, I, do, I could do it if, if the listeners would like me to. And if they want me to, then just say absolutely nothing. Great, so it goes, have sex, excess, blah, 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 and then something completely unintelligible. That was almost as good as <laughs> the music itself. Have And then he does this dance moves where he's putting on his suit at the same time, and he does this kind of dance move where he sort of uses both hands to beckon the the reflection of himself and stuff and it I don't know what he was really doing but it's not it's not great it's not great it kind of I, I don't know what does that what does that scene like what why does that scene stick in your head so much I think because it just seems such an obviously bad idea <laughs> uh, and when they were again when they were filming it when they were sort of creating it and and even when they were probably editing it in post production it it is so obviously bad yeah and there were probably ways not to include it in the film. 
But it says so much about the lack of care, the lack of attention, and lack of flair as well, that they, yeah. they just include it in the film. It's it's really embarrassing for everyone involved. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bad. And before we move away from the talent, I think the biggest disappointment for me is the director, Daniel Espinosa. Yeah. Uh, and he made, he started off in Sweden, he made a film called Snabakash. Uh, which was Joel Kinnaman, which is a bit of a um, sort of a, a gangster action film. Quite expensive for Sweden, I think, in terms of how much it was made, but really watchable, really good. He made a, one of my favourite action films of all time, Safe House, which I've talked about on the podcast before. It's I've, a film that you go to bat for a lot. Like, it's a film that you really feel... I, I know it's a film that you feel is really quite underrated, so I, I can see why this director, you'd, you'd kind of notice him again. Yeah, and I mean, since Safe House, he's made a couple of quite bad films Mm. he's really on a bad career trajectory at the moment but this is i mean i can't believe the same guy that made safe house made this no it's yeah it's pretty pretty shoddy stuff (laughs) i mean i think there's something about like watching a superhero film like this as well where it's just like so pale and obvious that nobody cares i mean you get that sense from a lot of marvel films these days that the illusion is slightly gone but at least that toy works yeah you know what i mean when you go watch a marvel film it's utterly joyless but the the parts work in it and it looks like people are having fun making this film even though these days i don't think a lot of them are but yeah i mean i get yeah for the sake of the argument yeah there's at least something there but like morbius doesn't even have that does it it's just this utterly soulless shell of a superhero film the absolute nadir of it like it's not even like blackbird that you would watch for for a laugh because it's so bad it's good and it's not like my son hunter that i think you could watch just out of kind of a kind of vague interest in like Mm. oh let's see what the alt right are doing there is nothing hilarious or interesting about morbius and that might be why some people on the internet are so obsessed with it because it's so completely devoid of any appeal at all on any level that they that there's a group of people online that have decided to pretend and create this in, inside joke that's the greatest movie of all time and try and promote it and push it and they did this so much that when it first came out and it bombed because no one wanted to see it because it was a piece of shit that uh, a bunch of people like responded to it including jared leto and then they they re-released the film and still nobody went to see it. So, <laughs> so what, what can you say? And actually, because you've explained that sort of extra chapter in its legacy... Yes. It's Morbin Time is a part of that, isn't it? Yes, it's true. It's Morbin Time, which is a riff on the Power Rangers catchphrase. It's Morphin Time. It's Morbin Time was something that people just kept saying over and over and started to pretend that was in the film, even though it's not in the film and no one ever says it. But... I worry that if they make a sequel, which I don't think they will, but if they did, if, if if Morbius ever appears again, I feel like it's almost guaranteed he's going to say it's Morbin time. And then when me and you are in the cinema watching that, we'll have to stand up and applaud and do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would do that. I mean, <laughs> there was a Oh, so big... you agree? We're going to go to the cinema and see the sequel? Oh, I, I forgot made, I'd see it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to see what new depths it goes to if there is a sequel but yeah i mean jared leto i think there was a viral video of him that he obviously him and his team filmed of him like reading a script saying it's morbid time yeah morbius too it's morbid time that just felt so weird it's it's like so rubbish it's it's like it's oh look it's me jared leto getting in on the joke yeah 
Which makes it worse. I think that makes it worse. Mate, they're taking the piss out of you. <laughs> and they're taking the piss out of the film that you starred in and you, like, executive produced. You were on the creative team. You weren't, like, a complete passenger in this. You could have done something to stop it being how bad it became. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether to pat him on the back and say, you've got a sense of humour about yourself. Like, well done. But there is something instinctively that makes it feel like... No, you're making it worse by doing this. Like, there's something about, like, no, you, you don't understand. Like, this is a real piece of shit and everyone hates it. So, I don't know. Who cares? He, he got paid probably some ridiculous six-figure salary and, like, a percentage. I mean, I don't think he's really worrying about it too much. But, yeah, Morbius. Do you think we've been critical enough? I don't think... We, well, we've given Morbius about twice as much time as anything that we've talked about on the films, even the good films. So I, I, I feel like we've been critical to a certain degree, a little bit enough. I hope that didn't sound like a rant, because I'm trying to be... <laughs> I'm trying to be as articulate and kind of break down why it's so bad as kind of carefully as possible, just so it doesn't come across as us just, you know, laughing at it in some sort of frivolous way because you want, really want to hold it to account really you really want, want it, it you, you, don't, you don't want to so like, but this is the problem with morbius is that it's taken on this weird other life where it's like it's mostly going to be notable as this kind of online joke aka a meme and possibly even the dawn of the meme film because a lot of people have started to make jokes about other upcoming films like the barbie film or the, the other minions film there was a bit of an online joke about that as well and I, and I don't know whether Morbius is the herald of a new age where every year or every couple of years there'll be a film that's so obviously cardboard thin and bad that people will try and create like an online joke about it. Which might be its, its worst legacy of all. A new level of horrible meta humour that, that becomes less and less funny as the years go on. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's like, you, you, you want to get across that you really, really hated this. This was this was a horrible, it's <laughs> a horrible film to have to watch. Yeah, I was angry at it at the <laughs> end. I was angry at to watch it. I was angry. And, and you've got to be a bit angry for the, the fans, I guess. Because they must What have... fans of Morbius? <laughs> So there are no fans of Morbius. He is a D-list Spider-Man villain. He's a Spider-Man villain where they said, you know who Spider-Man hasn't fought yet? A vampire. And then they said, oh, you know what? Actually, we, we can't actually get vampires past the comics code. So we're going to call him the living vampire and he's going to feed on people with his hands. He's a bad character. He's a bad idea for a character. It was a terrible idea. He's on Sony's books. He's owned by Sony. Probably by default, because nobody ever really wanted to take ownership of him anyway. Venom was a success. They looked through Spider-Man's villains that they still have the rights for, found someone that they thought could be a bit dark and edgy, cast a cult actor as him, and then they made this giant hunk of shit that everyone knew was going to be bad and was terrible. There are no fans of this character. Nobody was hoping for something good out of this, and it was really, really terrible. So everyone got what they wanted. <laughs> Are you saying that Morbius is the most reliable film of the year? If it's a film no one wanted, then ultimately the creators made the film that we deserved. Mm, that's true. So is Morbius the perfect film? Is that what you're saying? Possibly, yeah. <sighs> This is a, this is an existential crisis. This is how he became a meme. Yeah. This is I don't know. Do we want to keep going down this rabbit hole? Yeah, I think we've overly criticised it now because now we're calling it sort of perfect in its own 
creation. We need. I think we need to stop. I think we need to close this book and like put it away and never speak of it again. Yeah. Or we we can make a whole special podcast about it if you'd be up for that. We just need to watch Morbius again. No, let's shut the book, put it in a box, stake it through the heart. Yeah. Close the coffin, push it out into the sun. How's that? The end. <laughs> you save lives, you don't take off. Are you here to heal the world? Or to destroy it? Who the hell are you, man? I am Venom. I'm just kidding, it's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. So, that's it for another year of Films Are Better Than People. What, what do you think overall, Sam? We've always had to think about this this podcast, the best and the worst of the year. How do you feel about 2022 in the terms of film? Have you enjoyed it? Do you think it's been a good year? Yeah, I mean, there are no bad years for film. There's no. always something new and exciting. There's always a new filmmaker that you haven't discovered, or there's been a filmmaker that's been around for a long time and you feel guilty mm-hmm. that you haven't seen any of their films before. So, I, I never think of like good years in film or bad years in film uh, I know perhaps some people do this is the third year that we've done an end of year review and my favourite films of those previous years have been Portrait of a Lady on Fire Another Round and obviously this year The Stranger I've gone back to both Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, and Another Round and, and yeah I'll do the same with The Stranger I can't remember what my worst films were, so I, 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 you know. Why don't you all go back and listen to that podcast and find out? Yeah, I've, I've deleted that from my memory. I've really enjoyed it, and how about you? Yeah, I think it's been really good. I agree with you. I, d- I think every year is a good year for film. But, you know, this year, I feel like I've actually watched a few less superhero films, and I don't know if that's been actually better for me. Because at the end of last year, when I recorded a podcast, I was quite pissed off about the state of Hollywood films and big films and it and it didn't really work out. Yeah, you tried to pick the whole of the Marvel canon yeah. as like your worst <laughs> films of the year. I did. And you wouldn't let me, which maybe is fair enough. But I think that actually this year has been really good for big films again. I think they've bounced back. The obvious ones are like the Batman has made it into my, my best films of the year and I think that's really, really great. But also there's films like Top Gun Maverick has been a massive success people really enjoyed it and we went to see it and we really liked I thought it's great great film it's a really great film the, the only kind of thing I f- was thinking about this year is at the end of this year I think I haven't quite found as much time for cinema as I feel like I should have done and I think I want to kind of rectify that this year and it's hard because we don't always have the time we don't always have the money or, or always have the energy to keep going with that thing that you really really love uh, be it a hobby or a passion or however you want to describe it but I'm going to try and be a bit more on it and not let anything slip past me I also feel like I've gone to a lot more film events like the this year actually which is also something that I'm going to take with me into 2023 I went to the BFI film festival the, the the London Film Festival but then also I went to like the Action Film Festival and saw a couple of things there uh, that's just started in London I saw Con Air I saw Die Hard as well and that was like really good fun I also went to see a bunch of stuff like the Prince Charles like I saw this black exploitation film called Black Caesar on 35mm which is a really interesting authentic experience and I saw this cult comedy called Clue 
which was introduced by a comedian. That's a lot of C's in a row, but I'm, I think I pulled it off. And like 28 days later, we went to see it on Halloween and Danny Boyle was there. He did a Q&A and that was great. Even saw Nightmare Before Christmas at Christmas with a full band and Danny Elfman doing it. So th- it does make me think that like there's film events to go to, but there's also just lots of different ways we can explore film. And I want to do more of that. And I think it's really good if, if ever, anyone out there has the same passion for film, finding ways to keep film in your life and enjoy film in different ways and keep it exciting is like really really important and really really rewarding and like i say i know not everyone has the time the energy the money to do this stuff but there are still ways to keep cinema alive in your life and i'm going to keep on trying to do that i think streaming services are also a power of good really they really are they do make independent films and they give uh, interesting directors a platform to make films for a bigger budget than they normally would. I mean, The Stranger... And they don't always get the credit for that as yeah, well. Yeah, The Stranger was my favourite film of the year, was, was distributed by Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and then, would that... If, before streaming services, would anyone have noticed that film coming out? Like, I don't think they would have done. I think it would have been a really... be a hard sell. And streaming services, for the, for the good and the bad they do, there's a lot of plurality that you get out of them, a lot of diversity that yeah. you do get out of them and stuff. Oh, and actually, really uh, the, the two films that I've, I, I mentioned previously, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Another Round, are both on streaming services. Oh, are they? I think one's on... I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is on Netflix. Another Round's on Prime. Is uh, it? Yeah. Well, is it one of the free Prime films? Yes, yeah, I think it is. Wow. Or it, or Another Round might have moved to Netflix. Um, I don't know whether... It, it could be on both platforms. But wow. That's also a good sign. So, yeah. I that's think really special. Make time for, for cinemas. Make time for seeing those interesting kind of slightly independent films that are now getting paid on streaming services yeah that's really cool but also i think this year is going to be a really good year for action films i've got a sense i think i'm going to bring that back you remember when we did that before in the podcast i think like this yeah interesting films yes and plurality but also a few more explosions and stuff and cool gunfights and things I think this year could be a really good year for it. There's, there's room for both. There's room for both. There's always room for both. I think it's been a really good year, but I think 2023 might be even better. Let's see. Well, there's some really good stuff coming out this year, and I'm really excited to watch all of it. Well, on that positive note, we don't normally leave it on a positive note. <laughs> it's usually by a bad joke or, uh, you know, us trying to figure out the best way to end a podcast, but... Let's do that. Let's end it on films for 2023. Going to be really great. And if it's ever been a time, it's now to be morbid time. It's morbid time. (laughs) That was the joke I was leaving on. Yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah, I got it, yeah. (laughs) Didn't need to follow it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter, at Films Are Better, and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better. <laughs>